Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Business Meets Fitness podcast with your host Lauren Tickner, that is me. Hello guys and I'm really excited about this episode today, it is with a guy called Phil Graham who if you haven't heard of before, well he's awesome and I'm so honoured to honestly have him on my podcast because he is somebody that I have been following for years, he's one of the first podcasts that I ever listened to and so yeah it's really awesome having him on here and guys at any point in this podcast that you're really enjoying it or whatever please do share a screenshot of you watching it on your instagram story and tag me at lauren fitness and use the hashtag business meets fitness i'm so 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 excited to kind of get this rolling and get the podcast seen by more and more people and guys if you could do me a massive favor and leave a review on itunes of the business meets fitness podcast then i would appreciate it so 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 much But anyways, without further ado, I do hope you enjoy this podcast and yeah, I hope it teaches you something and provides you some sort of value and if you can just share it in some sort of way, even maybe telling a friend, that would be so awesome and honestly guys, I would be so grateful and every time you share it on your Insta story or tweet it or whatever, I always engage back with you right away because it just makes me so happy. So anyways, let's get into it. Enjoy the episode. So hello, Phil, and thank you for coming on today. I'm really excited to have you on because um, as I just said, I have been a fan of yours for a long, long, long time and I really love your content and everything that you're doing for the industry. So do you want to just kind of introduce yourself, your background, everything that you've done and achieved so far? So uh, maybe just try a little bit short because there is a lot of stuff there. (laughs) I'll keep it concise. Thank you so much for having me on, Lauren. It's an absolute pleasure and I want to thank your audience for listening this far already and hopefully I can share some great knowledge bombs, tips, insights and share a lot of my mistakes with you guys as well. Um, It all falls back to when I was 16 years of age and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I'm not going to give you a whole life story, but that drove me into studying nutrition, physiology and exercise science, from which was going to be my main areas of control for my diabetes. Now, I was diagnosed with type 1 at 16 and I automatically changed my lifestyle overnight and I placed a very high value on this knowledge. So... I became engrossed and obsessed with learning as much as I could in order to protect myself and improve the quality of my own life. And it wasn't long until I picked up a hobby for lifting weights in the gym, etc. And I started competing as a bodybuilder. And I competed from when I was around about 17 to around about 23. And I was very successful from a very young age. All before social media was really popular and stuff like that. I think back then we had sort of Bebo and stuff. Um, I think Bebo had just come out. And 29 now. And um, back then I, I went and competed all over the world. Junior Mr. Universe, Junior Mr. Britain. And I did all this stuff with diabetes where I was told I wasn't going to be able to do it. I was sponsored by BSN and with that I set up a a personal training business. I was working in the health service at the time as a health promoter and also a dietitian and I left that to pursue my career in personal training. I was doing the two at the same time once I graduated and I was getting asked all the time by people in the gym to help them with their nutrition, help them with their training, get them ready for shows and the whole fitness scene hadn't really kicked off back then. Um, I think in Northern Ireland, where I'm from, from Belfast, 
there was the first sort of fitness model show. So you weren't seeing any WBFF or anything like that. You would have heard of men's physique and bikini and stuff, obviously, in the UK BFF, which was one of the main federations there. The PCA or any of those federations weren't even created back then. And I got Northern Ireland's first female fitness model ready for her shows, and she won them and, of course, went on to do great things. And the industry just got more and more engrossed in the whole sort of fitness slash physique slash figure lifestyle. Um, I quit my bodybuilding. When I say quit, I retired from it. I still train every single day. I quit, quit the competitive side of things and delved into my personal training business where I've worked with people of all shapes, all sizes for years. And now I have sort of semi-retired slash retired from the personal training side of things as in on the gym floor. And I'm much more involved in education now, especially in respect to mentoring young personal trainers and bringing them up and teaching them coaching philosophy and also teaching them about setting up and creating a business. On top of that, with being diagnosed with diabetes, I never really talked about it much. I kept it to the back of my mind a lot of the time never really wanted to bring up an excuse or anything like that sort of very private to me and then I remember I was speaking at an exhibition one year and I've got to speak at exhibitions all over the world with fitness now and all of that knowledge originally came from being diagnosed with diabetes Um, and plenty of podcasts as well I have my own podcast so I've been able to it's great by the way guys it's an awesome (laughs) podcast though I definitely recommend (laughs) thank you so I've been you know fortunate enough to use that knowledge for something constructive and that's to help other people. So I was speaking at an expo and I came off the stage one year and it's almost the same every year now after since I published the book but there was a queue of people waiting to speak to me and they were all diabetic and long story short they were very thirsty for information on diabetes and exercise and they were fed up of all the generic stuff that was out there and that's what really was the penny drop moment for me to go and write something about diabetes and fitness. And with that, I set out last year in November, um, where I published my book. Sorry, a year before that, I was writing for a full year. And I basically logged down every piece of information that I wanted to know back then when I was first diagnosed from the perspective of building muscle, losing fat, getting in shape. All the context, the psychology, the medication, the diet, the lifestyle, the supplements. And when we look at the disease of diabetes, it's a very, very popular disease. It's one of the most popular diseases in the world. And it involves the processing of metabolic fuel. So it's quite an interesting disease in respect to carbohydrates, proteins, fat gain, muscle loss, muscle gain, all of those kinds of things. And especially if you look at all the supplements, if you look at all the diets that are in the mainstream industry nowadays, a lot of the buzzwords like insulin, low carb and stuff like that will be commonly uh, discussed in diabetes and their central themes to diabetes. And the context of nutrition for people with diabetes is slightly different to that of the normal everyday person. So I've been able to take all that knowledge that I had, all my experience and all that adversity and channel that into a constructive product that is being sold all around the world. Now we're publishing in New Zealand and Australia. I'm actually just off with the uh, publisher this morning. And uh, I mean, the, the, the book is being sold in all corners of the globe. We opened the Facebook group uh, just the other day. And I mean, within 48 hours of opening that, there was six point or 9.1 thousand interactions. So you wow. can guess how heavily engaged that audience is and how thirsty they are for this kind of information. So it's a very deep niche, and that's where I've sort of been hiding is the 
fitness educator for the last while. I mean, you know, with the industry now, uh, a lot of people are still talking about the same old stuff, just in different ways and means. And I'm very fortunate and very grateful enough that I have got my own niche now that I can go and uh, work away. But sometimes I feel the need to pop my head up every now and again, and I have got plenty of stuff in the pipeline. But um, as I say, my main focus now is in people with diabetes. And uh, that's it. So Everything you've done so far has been honestly just amazing for anyone who does have diabetes. I don't have it myself, but if there's anyone who is listening, just be sure to check out all of Phil's other stuff. But anyway, now let's dive straight into the podcast itself. So something that I think is going to be really, really important to talk to you about and to share with kind of my audience is the whole, well, obviously we need to talk about sugar. But then, then sort of like glycemic index, glycemic load, these are the, some of the buzzwords which are thrown around a lot, like what you were saying. Yeah, so, so, so typically what happens when somebody consumes sugar, I mean, there's various different types of sugar that we have to consider. I mean, we've got fructose, we've got lactose, we've got glucose, but in the general sense, everybody eats a lot of glucose. So <laughs> glucose is going to be basically found in all your particular carbohydrates, like your breads, your pastas, your potatoes, and it will be in different forms and different lengths and different chains and all of these things are going to affect how quickly glucose is brought into the bloodstream. So whenever we consume glucose, it basically goes into that. I'll, I'll not go through the whole digestive tract and talk about all the enzymes and stuff like that. I'll try to keep this as simple as possible. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it basically goes in, into the stomach and then it enters the bloodstream. And it will enter the bloodstream at different rates depending on the source of carbohydrate, what it's combined with, what else is in the stomach at that period of time. And typically, as a result of that, the body will secrete the hormone insulin to be able to transport that specific glucose into the appropriate cells. And that then is used for fuel. And again, obviously, it depends on the context of how much carbohydrate is consumed, but that will either be burnt up or that will either be stored as adipose tissue in the long run. But it all depends over a prolonged period of time what that individual is eating. Now, again, there are certain contexts where insulin will not be produced. For example, in the post-training window, whenever a muscle tissue has been contracted, a muscle tissue can take up glucose much more independently of insulin. So that's why we recommend strength training for people who are overweight or obese or people with diabetes because strength training, in effect, acts like a vacuum. Well, the muscle tissue does acts like a vacuum for the glucose and helps suck, suck it up basically independently of insulin. So in people with type 2, diabetes where there isn't much insulin produced but it may be slightly ineffective or resistant the muscle tissue serves to give that pancreas a break in people with type 1 where they produce no insulin again it can help facilitate the clearance or what we call glucose disposal so it's a matter of our bodies producing an adequate amount of insulin and disposing that in the necessary cells ideally muscle tissue and that is again going to translate to performance energy fuel and again, when we look at carbohydrates and sugar in respect, I mean, it comes from so many different food sources and different food sources all come with different makeups. So whether that we, we rarely eat macronutrients on their own, so they're going to come mm, with yeah. vitamins, minerals, fiber, uh, protein, you know, there's going to be a whole go of different things that accompany a food source. And I think that's very important to realize for a lot of the listeners is that we do not normally eat macronutrients on their own. They typically come as a food source. So that's a very important distinction to make. 
Yeah, funnily enough, I was actually listening to a podcast uh, this morning by Danny Lennon, uh, where yeah, he was like, talk- well, yeah. yeah, he was talking about he was talking about that all pretty heavily. Um, but yeah, I just find it super interesting how sugar has become something that people seem to be terrified of. Um, and yeah. I often see, I often, I often, obviously for the average healthy person, like there may not be quite so much need to be as scared of sugar as people may be. Um, so when somebody, when someone with, uh, diabetes, I mean, personally, I don't know a massive amount about diabetes and I'm sure kind of the average listener listening to this probably doesn't. So, um, when someone with diabetes has sugar, they obviously need to pay attention to the whole glycemic index. Um, well, they would need to pay more attention to the quantity of sugar that they consume and then the context of where they are i mean obviously a a higher glycemic carbohydrate such as you know mentos or (laughs) coca-cola or something like that i just love mentos are going to hit the blood glucose stream a lot faster than the likes of you know a a sweet potato and a salmon Mm. fillet together so but we have to i mean we have to look at the reasons why carbohydrate or sugar is given a bad name first of all Mm, and that's a very important context to consider so first of all it's normally accompanied with salt and fat so it's hyper palatable and as a result of that it's very easily overeaten so in respect it can really contribute to obesity when it's not managed appropriately and if we look at the majority of people's food environments it's surrounded by foods that are hyper palatable very high in salt very high in carbohydrate but also high in fat and you may get protein in there as well and we look at food quality low quality foods are low in protein low in fiber low in micronutrition but they're quite high in sugar and they're quite high in fat and they taste awesome right oh and the yeah calories are pretty high secondly we have to look at the fact that diabetes in respect is commonly associated with high blood glucose and sugar is the main culprit for that because sugar has the greatest impact on blood glucose levels so again that's commonly a misconception the fact that it increases blood glucose levels is bad for diabetes causes hyperglycemia in conjunction with the fact that it's hyper palatable these are some of the reasons why people think sugar or carbohydrate is bad We then have to look at the other factors as well. Carbohydrate is an osmolite, so it attracts water. So it's stored inside the muscle tissue cell as glycogen. It also attracts water inside the gut, especially fiber, and this can put body weight up. So again, it's a big misconception that carbohydrates are the main cause of weight gain. The reality is it's just attracted water. They're actually quite low in calories when you look at them on a gram per gram basis in comparison to the likes of fat um, or alcohol, for example. So generally speaking, there's a lot of misconceptions about carbohydrate, but it's very important to understand where people's concept and idea of carbohydrate being bad comes from. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. No. And I think that's a really, really good point to make um, about the foods being hyper palatable, um, because I think that's something that people often kind of, I mean, forget to think about. I mean, I know for sure that I used to be terrified to eat sugar. Um, so hopefully that'll kind of clear clear up a few Things for a few people there. So um, something that I want to move on now is kind of, I know before we, we briefly touched upon it, but maybe glycemic load versus glycemic index. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a, a lot of the, the, the context and set, instead of looking at glycemic load and glycemic index for individuals, mm. I mean, people will fuss on that kind of stuff much yeah, more for so sure. rather than their complete overall daily structure. 
And I mean, it would be, you know, it's very irresponsible to go in and just look at one key factor when the reality is people are focusing on the minutia and not looking yeah. at the main bulk of the details. So I we agree, look at yeah. food quantity, and then we look at the glycemic index. You know, the reality is, are you meeting your essential nutrient needs? Are you monitoring or assessing your nutritional intake in such a way that it allows you to determine why you're overweight, why you're underweight, why you're maintaining your weight, and that you have justification as to the amount of food that you eat? Are you eating in a environment that is favorable towards your social occasions? Are you feeling restricted? I mean, all of these things are much, much greater issues um, for nutrition. And when we look at glycemic load and things like that, a lot of people seem to think that people with diabetes uh, cannot have sugar. The reality is, if we take the context of the most extreme diabetes type 1, where no insulin is produced, they can most certainly take carbohydrates. And that is supported, especially in individuals who are very active or who strength train. Now, we talk about the whole low-carb slash ketogenic side of things, and we almost look at it and laugh at it in the mainstream fitness industry, where there's a lot of dogma attached to it. But if there's one area of the industry where low-carbohydrate dieting is extreme, it's in diabetes. So you'll find that there's a massive movement of people that are completely against carbohydrate consumption of people with diabetes. Why? Because carbohydrate is involved in increasing blood glucose levels the most. It's the most responsible nutrient for driving glucose up in the blood fast. Secondly, because it requires medication to store it or facilitate the use of it. And as a result, it can cause hyperglycemia, which has devastating side effects for health. But that is in the context, in my opinion, for individuals that are extremely inactive, that do not strength train. If we look at strength training, we can see that strength training primarily uses the glycotic energy system. It relies on carbohydrates. So if we're wanting to maximize our exercise stimulus, then we need to include carbohydrates in our diet. Plus the fact that they're associated with other micronutrition fiber elements, plus the fact that they allow us to socially eat in company and enjoy that. It's not restrictive in any sense, shape or form. If we can combine carbohydrates with all the rest of our macronutrients and as a result of that be able to enjoy our diet for a prolonged period of time and not just in peaks and troughs and I think that's a very important thing to consider for a lot of individuals that your diet should never be made up of peaks and troughs apart from the competitive athlete or show prep competitor that is obviously going through uh, fixed periods of time whereby they have to push their physiology a little bit and push their motivation a little bit i.e. do stuff that they don't want to do in order to achieve a goal and obviously that goal is beyond sustainable physiologically hence the reason why it tends to hurt a little bit does that make sense oh yeah no i agree for sure when i first started <laughs> I would literally be spending so much money on supplements yeah. and I didn't even know what calorie balance was, you know? Yeah, So definitely. I, And, you know, it can get you into all sorts of problems. Definitely. I mean, so many people just focus on the wrong stuff. They invest money in stuff that's merely surface detail or icing on the cake. You know, the reality is you have to follow a set principle strategy in order to get in better shape. And... Like I always say at all my seminars, it's the boring stuff that matters the most. Not many people appreciate that. So energy balance, rest, recovery, training frequency, progressive overload, all of those factors are absolutely paramount in physique change. And, you know, you can go and buy your Fitbit, you can go and buy your, 
you know, your mask for your face and do all the breathing stuff and all that kind of crap. But the reality is you're just relying on gimmicks. And when you actually look at everything now that's produced within the fitness industry, whether that's a nutrition app, whether that's a a strength training tool, whether that's a, a tracking app, they all work off those principles of energy balance, sleep, calorie control, progressive overload, measurement and assessment, all the boring stuff that really most people do not talk about and put a spin on every other week. So that's very important to consider. Very, very true. No, uh, it won't make the money in the long term, will it? So. <laughs> Definitely, 100%. I just wanted to kind of uh, discuss maybe the differences in the way you've had to go about building muscle, getting lean through having diabetes. I mean, yeah. is that, so, I yeah. Mean, you know, when it, when it comes to people with diabetes, people with diabetes are at a, a marked disadvantage whenever it comes to building muscle. And the reason for that is, is because they can go into a state of hyperglycemia. Um, whenever the body is in hyperglycemia, the body cannot facilitate the use of fuel appropriately. So amino acids, glycogen, and fat are all used at the same time at different amounts, varying according to blood glucose levels. The higher you go, the more ketones that tend to be produced as a byproduct of body fat, the more amino acids tend to be stripped from muscle tissue, and as a result, there's a whole host of other complications with the brain, with hydration status, with the ability for the muscle tissue to fire at the right time, at the right place, uh, glycation, joint sticking, all of these things can be a big, big issue. Now, that's in an individual with poorly controlled diabetes. That only happens when the condition is not controlled. So it's extremely important that control is obsessed over. And I say that in my book, I say that all the time in the Facebook group, in any article that I write, obsess over perfect control because if you do, then you're not gonna be susceptible to the side effects of hyperglycemia and one of those is muscle loss. So if you're spending a lot of time, money and effort going to the gym, buying supplements, buying the best of meat and you're running your blood glucose high or you're having neglect for that and you're spending all this money on all the gimmicks and all the smart stuff, then the reality is, you're wasting your time. You gotta look at your control first. Optimize your insulin in accordance to proper blood glucose control specific to your day-to-day life, your wake-up times, your stress levels, your cultural diet, everything, okay? Now, when it comes to fat loss, especially in type one individuals, again, it can be more problematic with the use of the exogenous insulin drug, which is one of the most powerful medicative drugs in the world in terms of side effects hypoglycemia is a direct side effect of using that. When we take a hypoglycemia, we not only compromise exercise performance, but we also have to rectify that with calories. Now, it all boils down to where the individual is, time and place, when they take the hypoglycemic episode. But nine times out of 10, they're rarely beside a straight acting source of glucose. They might be beside a piece of cake. They might be beside a biscuit. They might be beside a bottle of Lucozade one day, a bottle of Coke the next, and it all depends. So you imagine over the course of somebody's lifetime or even a year in the day-to-day circumstances that they may slip into eating food that they don't want. And sometimes appetite can be confused with hypoglycemia and it can result in uncontrolled eating. And you can undo a whole week's work in one day very quickly, especially if there's chocolate cake and all sorts of other things lying out. 
And again, that hypoglycemia will be much more pronounced or more aggressive if the individual has not dosed their insulin appropriately and has taken way too much or has gone far too long without food. So like I say to all my clients, like I say to myself, always bring a straight-acting source of glucose wherever you go. Anticipate that a low is going to happen. And that's what we call hypoprevention strategies. Now, realistically, you know, when it comes to traveling or going about town and doing shopping and things like that, you can grab fast-acting sources of glucose from a shop. You can just nip in and grab a tin of Coke. Uh, you can, you know, you can nip into a restaurant and get something relatively quickly. So it's not that hard. But the problem comes whenever you are maybe traveling and you don't know your environment. The problem comes whenever you're in a board meeting or a popular uh, event or something like that. You find it quite hard to get out. Maybe a social occasion, you don't want to leave the table. All of these situations pose a massive threat to somebody's ability to treat a hypoglycemia. So again, if we're holding our efforts back and trying to lose body fat, then it's going to take us a little bit longer. It's going to be more, you know, not restrictive but more frustrating and in turn that may take its toll but that boils down to poor diabetes management there is no way shape or form that someone with diabetes cannot get absolutely shredded if they put the effort in and they are extremely self-aware of how their body works what hormones are produced at what time and how they time it and I was fortunate enough to acquire all that knowledge to be able to achieve that multiple times throughout my life and maintain that but that has come through knowledge, that has come through ownership of the condition and being aware of that. So the same thing could be applied to everyday members of the public listening to this. If you can't get lean, if you can't build muscle supposedly, then you don't know enough and it's up to you to reach out to the right sources to study and learn. Knowledge is opportunity, knowledge is growth, knowledge is everything. And it's very easy to think that you're taking the next best thing think that you're using the best app but again that's just being bought into modern day claims it's very important that you look at the underlying time-tested principles and you assess whether or not you're doing them i speak to clients all over the world and the first thing that they start telling me is i can't lose weight i've tried this i've tried that and then i ask them how has your training been how has your diet been some days i train three times a week some days i train five some days i do this some days i do that there is very rarely an individual I come into contact with that has a solid, robust measurement system in place. They very, very, very rarely consistently track the key variables. That is calorie intake, activity intake, training frequency, sleep, stress, blood glucose management in respect of diabetes. That's obviously tracked, but there are loads of elements that are left out. And then, of course, how body weight is changing, how performance is changing. And again, a lot of people don't have that accountability. And that's where they fall short because they go at it for two weeks, they buy all the supplements, they buy the gym stuff, and then they don't get the result. And then they get asked out on a social occasion, they get asked out at the weekend, and then it's all over. So it's very important to have a robust, solid protocol and structure to follow in order to maximize your body composition efforts because if you don't have that you're going to feel fast yeah that's right and consistency is key i mean people will try all sorts of different things and they think that just because they've been on their fitness journey for a long time but i mean it could, could it could be years that you've been trying to do something but if you're not consistently sticking to the fundamentals then then the results just aren't going to come in and i think that that is a very good point no matter what no matter whether you've got a health condition or something. I mean, yeah, you've got to focus on these things. So 
Um, you briefly mentioned it earlier, but something that I thought was um, interesting was kind of with regards to alcohol for diabetics. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, if you drink alcohol, does it is it gonna alcohol lowers blood glucose yeah, levels? Obviously, it depends so. on the source. So, like a bottle of WKD is not going to lower your blood glucose <laughs> too fast, but a gin and diet coke will sure, lower your blood sure. glucose. Uh, I don't drink WKD. I think I had like one in my whole entire life. Um, but uh, I love it how that's the first light. thing that came to your mind. Like maybe you have one last night, no? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> we bottled a blue. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, alcohol will lower your blood glucose levels, so it's very important that again you have hypoprevention strategies in place, sure. and it lowers everyone's blood glucose. Yeah, it yeah. Lower the blood glucose of people with diabetes. Mm. What actually happens is the alcohol lowers blood glucose, and it shuts the liver off in the sense of the liver produces glucose via a process called gluconeogenesis where it just releases um, glucose from its stored sites and basically that bumps into the blood glucose system under the action of hormones like glucagon and what happens is it brings blood glucose levels up. Now what happens when you drink alcohol, especially when you're really intoxicated, is the liver is processing the alcohol and that process tends to be shut off. And if you are taking insulin, for example, then you're driving glucose down with no hormones to bring you back up. And we see derangements in those hormones in people with diabetes. But for people without diabetes, that's why you tend to get the likes of the munchies and you want to eat stuff and all that kind of stuff when you come in after a night out. Plus the fact that you've been very active, whether you're dancing, whether you're standing, whether you're socializing, talking, because all that shit takes energy. It does, yeah. Unlike me being kind of a little gremlin in my house hiding away doing work but no just when I because uh I don't, I don't know obviously like I don't have diabetes but when I drink alcohol like my heart rate definitely slows down but that's that's because it's the depressant and stuff so I mean yeah I think everybody's I think everybody's heart slows down <laughs> yeah I know I know it's just that like, I, I always notice that and I'm like hmm, is this normal but <laughs> no it's really interesting so I just wanted to at the end here like kind of put you on the spot a bit and I just wanted to say if there's a couple of things that you would say so firstly like one thing that you would say to just the average population that we haven't already spoken about and then one thing for people with diabetes, which is probably going to be easier for you. But um, yeah, what would you say to the public? Top yeah, tip. Just one. So top well, tip. Well, it could be I more than one. Co- I think I think this would cover everyone. But the reason is, or sorry, the tip is know why you behave, know why you do things, know why you chase things, know why you want to improve your body. Don't do that for anybody else. That may take you a couple of years, a good few years to figure out, but the reality is you have to be comfortable in your own skin, comfortable with yourself, and be true to yourself every minute, every second of the day, because the last time I checked, if you just look around you, everybody else is trying to live in somebody else's shoes, keep up with the Joneses, and live their life according to other people's values. They rarely, rarely, rarely live on their own mission. And... You know, a man or woman on a mission doesn't need to get validation from their external environment to fulfill them. They get it from themselves. And you can only achieve that by doing work on yourself, researching yourself, questioning your thoughts, constantly staying speculative and refining on behaviors. So if you do something this week, if you've done something last weekend or you've done something today that's bad, that you consider bad or whatever, that it's caused you stress, ask yourself, why did you do it? What did you do it for? What was the reasons for it? What did you learn from it? Would you do it again? If you did it again, what would you do different? 
Question yourself like that constantly. And that can be applied into nutrition, training, business, life, relationships, whatever it may be. But the reality is most people, 90% of people, reality, are chasing fitness purely to look better for somebody else, mm. not for themselves. Yeah, that's a really, really good point now, which is probably going to hit home with a few people. Um, and so... Yeah, I mean, you know, like I, I've, you know, I, I haven't sat behind... You know, I've been in the I've been in the lab doing research. I've been in the gym pulling a lot of weight. I've been in a meathead gym. I've been personal training with people all shapes, all sizes. I've got a lot of street knowledge and a lot of book knowledge that I've accumulated over the years. And the fact that I communicate with a lot of coaches, coaches that are sometimes smarter than me, but they don't have the street experience that I have. I try to amalgamate that together. And I think the fitness industry now is 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 there's a large proportion of it that's based on book knowledge and there's very little street education because the reality is the book knowledge changes dramatically in the context of everyday living mm. because everyday personal circumstance is different and it's a great skill as a coach to be able to take that and and make it malleable with a lifestyle that is is different on various different levels compared to what you studied or the, the normative groups or homogenous groups of, of people that the, the first research was tested on, so to speak. The way I sort of say it all is, you know, um, if you're looking for a coach or a personal trainer, I mean, look at the results. One, do they practice what they preach? Two, have the clients achieved the results? Three, do they talk common sense? Mm -hmm. Four, do they have a balanced viewpoint on, yeah, it could be good, no, it could be bad. I mean, if you ask me about you know ketogenic diets, well, they could be good, but they could be yeah. bad. You've got to have that balanced hands. opinion. I mean, if they're just if they're hammering one diet and that's all they'll possibly accept, and if they won't accept you if they if you like want to eat carbs or whatever then yeah. <laughs> don't go with them i've been through the whole you know I, i've been through restrictive dieting i've been through one-sidedness through all of that um i think we all have uh, you know I, I i've been the guy that's knocked back 50 amino acid pills in the middle of a workout you know i, I i've cottoned on to pretty much every fitness uh, myth fallacy that there was growing up and i've made the mistakes and you know i openly talk about oh this. yeah but that's that's i think that's the most important thing and that's the most kind of well it shows that you're a respectable person because i think like if you the people who deny that they've made mistakes in the past i mean well it's just every, everybody has and if if you can't open, well it adds it adds it adds character authenticity yeah and, you know the ability to relate yeah we're all human so yeah everyone's everyone's gonna have done stupid things in the past i mean i've tried a bloody t-tox can you get any worse than that <laughs> i i haven't tried that i haven't tried that i must give that a oh, go <laughs> God, well you if you got a constipation i recommend it but <laughs> that's about it <laughs> No, I'm just joking. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to my food. I actually, I actually really enjoy my food. Food's a big oh, part of my same. day. Um, you know, I, I love, I like cooking. I, I love eating out. Mm. And, you know, uh, like I say, you know, I, I look forward to my food. And um, I'm actually going to go and train after this and then get something to eat. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think that that's, that's also another really important thing. It's just like having a diet that suits your lifestyle and that you're able to, as we spoke about earlier, that you're able to enjoy with other people. It takes a long time to be able to achieve that. Um, I can remember whenever I was competing and stuff, my dad would have always made me anxious when I went to eat out. It would affect my moods. It would affect everything. And, you know, I've been hyper, hyper, hyper diligent and strict with my eating. And I did that purely based on what I knew at the time. Whereas now, and I mean, I've worked with a lot of professional bodybuilders that have been eating 
a very traditional bodybuilding diet for a period of time and then what we've done is we've opened up their mind opened up their food choices explained things from a nutritional science perspective and it has opened up their willingness and their life it has opened up a lot of opportunity a lot of freedom and you know again there's no research behind this but that you're proof in the living i mean you know if you're not stressed you're going to enjoy training better you're enjoying the taste of food you're eating out with people that mean a lot to you i mean that's a no-brainer i mean i don't need a scientific research study to tell me that eating with people that i like is going to be beneficial for my health so <laughs> you know that that's uh you know it's common yeah sense, mental know. health as well as physical health that's what it's all about so yeah i mean do you just want to share with everybody who's listening what you're getting up to now and what some of the some of the stuff that we're next to see from yeah you? so my my first mastermind launches in about 10 days in belfast that's fully sold out now for the next six months or so but bear in mind that's so if you're a personal trainer and you want to hang about with like-minded personal trainers that are wanting to grow their business and talk all the nitty-gritty of how to scale it then definitely keep an eye out for that i am about to launch my diabetic muscle and fitness membership site within the next 14 days um, my videographer has officially shit himself, so I have had to refilm a very important video. Um, I do hope he's listening to that. So that is going to be launched in due course. It's a very exciting project for people with diabetes. I launched the book last year. The book has gone on to sell over 10,000 copies all over the world um, a year on. Um, so it's only, it's, like I said, that's only pretty much been the UK and the US. We are going into New Zealand, Australia. India, we're getting a Spanish version translated, um, and again, that's going out. There's cookbooks coming out for the whole diabetes thing. The Phil Graham side of things, I am going to write a book. I'm undecided what I'm going to write about yet, but I'm probably going to write about personal training, uh, coaching, a little bit of business, a little bit of mindset, the mindset of a personal trainer. Um, so I'm quite excited for that kind of stuff. But really, I mean, the world is my oyster at the moment i've got a lot of knowledge there i refine it every single day there's not a minute in my day goes by where i don't question myself or i don't reflect on something i'm quite a deep thinker you could probably tell that um and uh, like i said i'm always striving to improve and the most importantly is help other people as well i mean you know if i'm not fulfilling other, i get a kick out of helping other people i mean when i go into that Facebook group of mine, the Diabetic Muscle and Fitness Group. And if you are diabetic or know someone with diabetes, then head over there, request to join Diabetic Muscle and Fitness. Um, I mean, it might take a while for you to, to join because we have to work through all the, the people that request. Um, I mean, I, I take a scroll through that every morning and there's people praising me and thanking me about the quality of information in the book and how it has improved their life. That's all I need. That's the result for me. And that tells me that I'm on the right track, that my mission and my purpose is aligned. And uh, that's probably another thing that we could add to the tips um, is that, you know, if you don't have a sense of belonging or a sense of purpose or meaning to your day or meaning to your life, then you are going to procrastinate all the time. You're going to be browsing on social media all the time. You're going to be comparing yourself to others. You're going to be competing. You're not going to be creative. So if you match any of those symptoms or your side effects, the most productive use of your time right now is not going and working what productivity app is best for you or what pill is going to make you concentrate better. It's probably sitting down with a pen and paper and saying, what do I like? What do I not like? What do I want to do? How is this going to happen? How am I going to plan for it? and when am i going to achieve it yeah finding uh, your why and yeah execute yeah and, and you know what like I, I i like you know the whole social media like inspirational quote type stuff 
so many people put up inspirational quotes that they they just put that up because it, it, it sounds good off the tongue. The reality is you have to be able to live it. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's very easy to say know your why. But if I said to you, do you really know your why? And then I look at your day on an hour by hour basis and you spend three hours browsing through other people's lives. You're hanging about in the evening and you don't know what to do. Having, you know, quite quite a bit of background in entrepreneurship and skill. I mean, I've got to be around some incredibly focused individuals and they really make you question the strength of your why. Um you know, and if you look at anybody that's a remarkable achiever or a high achiever, they're on on dyingly or, or committed, focused. I don't even know that wasn't even a word. That wasn't even a sentence. <laughs> they have an undying. They have an undying level of focus and attention towards their specific goals, and that takes time. Yes, it takes time, and you know, realize as well. I mean, I I actually, I actually said this when I was in I was in Italy over the the holidays and I put it up on my Instagram and everybody's, everybody's like what's wrong what's wrong is everything okay passions are like seasons seasons change so if you're doing something now that is interesting bear in mind that may change in six months and there's nothing to feel guilty mm. about breaking out of that it might be uncomfortable but I was in Italy at the time and it was coming the end of the, the summer season and and that just hit me um, passions do change so I had left the whole personal training thing and I was like right okay my passion's in something different now but I was, I was finding it very hard to break out of the whole one-to-one coaching thing communication face value type stuff and I mean I, I can share that with you girls anyway I think I'm talking to a bunch of girls here I don't know I mean there, there's a lot of girls listening but there are some there are some guys there too but they're not the type of guys that slide into your DM saying weird stuff so it's, it's all good <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I mean, hopefully uh, that information, that I know that's only sound bites and bits. No, and that was awesome. It should let you uh, rethink a couple of things. That was, that was really cool. That. And yeah, everything about how the seasons and passions change is definitely something that uh, that's happening with me at the moment. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole other story. So um, yeah, so where can everybody find you? I mean, we've had a little bit of... Yeah, just, just, just type in Phil Graham on Instagram. I'll come up. I've got Diabetic Muscle and Fitness on Instagram. Um, it's quite big and the Facebook just Phil Graham you'll search and find me Phil Graham phil-graham.com um, diabeticmuscleandfitness.com uh, you can grab my book on diabeticmuscleandfitness.com you can get it on Amazon as well um, there's a ton of ebooks and stuff as well there and just loads of stuff but head over and follow me on Instagram I try to put up a post every other day I genuinely am a very busy guy so I do not get the chance to post two to three times a day and I always try to turn up and show up and put up something useful Mm -hmm. so that's a a big big thing for me I mean you know I could uh, you know put up training stuff every single day and topless photos and you know build a following fairly quickly but it's not the kind of people that I really want yeah, to yeah. Uh, I, I want to uh, you know my main demographic I want to be talking to coaches mm-hmm. personal trainers people that are enthusiastic about nutrition health personal development and obviously people with diabetes yeah. so that's my main area for yeah me. for sure and your podcast as well so go check that yeah my podcast is Elite Muscle Radio it's very much aimed at personal trainers and coaches there is some awesome personal development stuff in it again if you're just into fitness um, and we've had some amazing guests from all over the world on that. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I've got another four podcasts this week to do. Awesome. Um, so 
I'm very excited to those. I always love getting the opportunity to connect and reach out. So, Lauren, thank you. And I know how much time these podcasts take out of your schedule as well. Yeah, especially bloody well setting them up, eh? <laughs> we had a bit of a nightmare, but... Uh... Let's hope I can get that done. But yeah, no, thank you so much for um, for coming on, and I really appreciate it because yeah, I know how busy you are, and I just hope that this podcast has helped a few people.